Hi there folks, um, it's WP Tonic, episode 103. It's our Saturday live roundtable show, which we record on Blab at 10am Pacific Standard Time. And um, we've got one main topic, which is um, WordPress and online marketing that works in 2016. And we're also going to have some great WordPress news stories to start the show off. Um, I've got a great panel this Saturday, that, um, so I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So, Sally, would you like to introduce yourself? Certainly. My name is Sally Getch. My business is WP Fangirl. I build websites for small businesses and nonprofits, and I'm the organizer at East Bay WordPress Meetup in Oakland, California. That's great. Um, Kim, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. I'm Kim Schivler. I teach people how to build WordPress websites and online courses at howtobuildanonlinecourse.com. For those of you that know me, you know my cats get involved a lot. My sidekick is not here today because she doesn't feel well, but I am going to show you my new thing for when you're here in the class with me. When you're a good student, you get the happy paw. When you're a bad student, you get the not happy paw. I have one. Uh, folks, if you go to the WP Tonic um, website to the episode page, you'll be able to watch the video. It's hilarious. Um, John, would you like to <laughs> introduce yourself, please? Sure thing. My name's John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design, and I help uh, business owners get more out of their uh, websites. And I'm a cat lover, but I don't have any cats anymore. Oh, um, no claw either. Um, I'm um, Jonathan Denwood, the co-host with um, John. And uh, before we get off, um, please go um, to iTunes and subscribe to the show and give us a rating, folks. It really helps. So please do that. Um, join the tribe, as they say. So let's go into some of the news stories that I put up. And let's start off with... Um, a, a good interview on the Matt Report, which is another great uh, WordPress <laughs> podcast. And um, he was interviewing, and I'm going to butcher this guy's name. Is it Dan? Is it D- Dan Toll? He's Dutch. Could you? How would you? It, pronou- would, how would it, you pronounce it should that? be. It should be Toll if it's Dutch. So, yeah. so, so is it Dan Toll? Uh, yeah. Dan or Don, Don is probably how Don, you would say it. Don, Don Toll. Yes. That, that flat A is, is pretty much an English language thing. Yes. Um, shame I can't speak it, isn't it? Uh, um, so, um, um, he's the new owner of WP Lift, a very popular WordPress-focused site, and he paid $205,000 for the website. Um, so um, let's start off with Sally. What, what did you think of that um, interview and um, the new owner paying 205000 Well, you know, the thing that it, that it actually uh, sent me back to and, and uh, you know, is um, the reason that the old owner was selling it. Uh, that, you know, in order to build up all of this value in the in the blog, all of the content marketing uh, value, and and you know advertising and affiliate links and whatever else it, it might bring you, um, you know required continuous daily uh, dedication, basically, you know, and and uh, what happened was that you know the previous owner just got exhausted um, and uh, was having you know not enough time for his family and and the other part of his his business and and that's why he had to sell it and you know he realized a decent amount of money from the uh, from the work that he'd put in although i suspect if if you actually added up all of the hours uh, you know the net hourly rate uh, versus the 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 sale price would not come out to be all that impressive so i'm i'm hoping that it will you know that the fact that it's already established will help the new owner uh to be able to you know realize ongoing value and and you know get his money back all right what what do you think kim well i i so agree with sally that um you know i hope because it was established it really helps him take it to the next level. I think for me, what it just stands out to show is just the truth that 
while you can you absolutely can create online businesses, you can absolutely make money with affiliates, et cetera. This is not a do it in five minutes and get rich kind of thing that people unfortunately are still trying to sell. You know, you pop up a you pop up a quick niche site and in five hours all of a sudden you're making all this money coming in and it is just it doesn't work that way, right? So no, I love what Sally there, pointed there are out. No- Get rich quick schemes here. No, Definitely no, and content guy who really put in the time and is making money, but still has to see that wow, that's a lot of work for the money I'm making. Cindy's, what do you think, John? Um, uh, did, by the way, John, did you have time to listen to the interview at all? Or? I actually listened to the interview. Yeah, it was fast. Yeah, and I didn't even realize you threw this in the links. But the Matt Report is is one of the podcasts I actually do listen to. Um, and what I got out of it is two things. The first thing is, is if you can build a brand that has a lot of name recognition and has built up a lot of value, it takes a lot of time. But it produces a lot of value. And a lot of people quit before they get to that point because of how hard it is and how much work and dedication it actually takes to get to that level. Um, to, to sell an online you know, site of any type for that sort of money, um, it requires years of hard work. And I can understand why the original owner was burnt. Uh, the second thing that, that I got out of that interview is something that Matt Madero said, is that a lot of people think $200,000 is a lot of money. And and it's and it's not it, it is if you're like struggling to, you know, just kind of m- make ends meet or you're struggling to get to, you know, 200,000 a year, it's a lot it, it might feel like a lot of money. But but in the bigger scheme of things, it's not because um we really I think as a community have to like shift our mentality of, you know, not always aiming low and you know aim high and if you get like halfway there then you're winning but if you just settle for you know what you can get then you're going to get maybe halfway there yeah i I thought there there's exactly the great points that i noticed in the interview john um basically um dan hope i'm not butchering your first name i apologize if i am um you know, he pointed out he'd been on, he'd been looking for a um, property, a web, a website property for over fifteen months, eight, fifteen to eighteen months, and he'd been in a lot of discussions. And then Lifter came on the market. He would have preferred that he could have bought it um, through a broker, not had all the publicity, because he said he says during the interview, folks, that he's been inundated with people. Getting money in some form or another, which I found quite funny. Um, but um, he had been looking for over fifteen months and looked at a lot of rubbish, very similar to some of the things that Sally and Kim had said. And then Lifter came on, and then they started the negotiation, and he did all his due diligence. 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 Oh God, I'm terrible this morning. I apologise, folks. Um, so, um, but I think the other factor is that people just don't realise the amount of work, especially if you're going to, if you're mostly doing it yourself. Um, he'd been at it for quite a while. How long had he been running it before he sold it? Twenty ten, he said he started. Wow. So that was a that was a long time, and yeah, I mean, you know, when um, Matt Mullenweg bought WP Tavern, he bought it along with the blogger. Um, you know uh, the you know the chief writer and and there are now some some other writers so you know Matt isn't having to create it he he just uh, you know he just invested in it. Um, what do you think the multiple was? Is it I don't know what it is now in America. You know, do you think he paid like I think he said he paid four to five times um, net profit on it, or is it just based on the gross? What do you think? You know, I, I, I think he did say it during the interview, but I might be wrong there. I, I don't remember. Um, but I, I think the main thing is, you know, I, I think he's got a good platform to start off with, and I, I think I, I do read it. Um, 
I do go to the site, um, and it's you know it says it's got thirty thousand subscribers. So I, I don't think he really overpaid for it. What do you think, John? No, I don't think he overpaid for it. Um, you know, it's hard to get thirty thousand subscribers. Yeah, uh, you know, focused on one niche topic, which is you know WordPress. And if if you can acquire something that's like already built up, and then just take the handoff and just keep running with it, then by all means. I mean, it's a proven revenue generator through you know ads and affiliates, and you know that's usually how you monetize a you know a blog. But you got to have you know just you know just endless amounts of content, and you got to keep up that production and, and be dedicated to it. And mm-hmm. and you can look at like the successful blogs in our ecosystem, and they're all like that. Yeah. You know. So a uh, thing that um, John pointed out, um, I put this to Kim, is the the other thing I found fascinating was some parts of the WordPress. Um, I'm temp- I can't find another word community, um, but they were you know seemingly there was a lot of chatter on Twitter. That was the you know you know this is crazy you know he's spending all this money he must be mad and I thought it I thought it was quite outrageous and out of order really uh, what, what do you think Kim? I agree I, I would agree with you I think it is outrageous and out of order and it's it's one of the things and and I'm, you guys can tell me if you find this too because uh, I did not you know I came out of a much more traditional tech environment going way back. You know, I was with IBM and like big companies who were used to getting paid what they were worth. And what has kind of amazed me with like things I heard like that, oh, you're overpaying this and that. And what I have found with working with other bloggers is a lot of times it's bloggers who are not, they are working with WordPress, but they're not blogging about WordPress. Their customers I've worked with, maybe not even my customers, I've had a consulting session or we've just even been friends. And they are spinning out blogs using WordPress, making $100,000, $200,000 a year sometimes on absolutely other things. Yet it seems like when we come to the WordPress community that we want to devalue ourselves. And I, I've never gotten that, but it seems like it's been that way since 2010 when I came to the community. Yes, yeah, definitely a tone. What do you think, Sally? Um, I do think it's, you know, there's always going to be a lot of, of silly chatter about almost everything because people have opinions whether or not they have information. Uh, and I'm as guilty of, of that as anybody. Uh, I think that, you know, and, and this issue has been discussed before about, uh, you know, pricing in, in, in WordPress is, you know, uh, that there is some expectation uh, that, you know, because WordPress itself is, is free, that sort of everything else that goes along with it should be free or, or cheap. And, and that's not actually a, you know, a logical conclusion, but it is a common misconception. It definitely is. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, but like you say, it's, it's not untypical with Twitter to have those, I don't actually observe them that I don't observe them. So I don't anticipate and I wouldn't because um, I just, but I would just look at it, Jonathan, I would just look at it and and I, I only heard part of the interview. So maybe they disclose more, but as someone who has bought and sold businesses before, I don't look at it as a WordPress here or there or whatever. I look at it as what's the going rate for uh, if I'm making X what can I plan on selling at my multiplier? Is that one, two, three, five times? And depending on the industry I've been buying in or selling in, that's been different. That's really all that tells me on, did the guy spend too much? What's the industry? What were his multipliers? And if they're along the rates of everybody else in the industry, then, then he didn't pay too much. That's what he should expect to pay. Straight yeah. up. That's my Straight idea. up. The yep. people talking on Twitter, once they've sold a blog for... Ten thousand, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars. Then they can have their input on that. Until then, just bow out. Yeah, just to finish, and then we go on to another story. Um, I thought one, but the positive thing was that um, Matt was remarking that when he, um, which is linked to the next story, uh, when he was at World Camp US and some of the other word camps he's been, he said there, there's a lot of investors around looking at WordPress businesses because it just got too expensive in silicon valley and more um the 
the traditional startup markets and now they're looking at WordPress and I thought that was really quite encouraging. What did you think, Sally, about that? I, I think that's a, you know, it's an, it's an interesting idea and it's it's true if you want to invest in, in something and you're just getting started as, as an investor, uh, you know, you might want to look at a, a thing where, uh, you know, what you put in and what you get out are going to be, you know, probably smaller, although, you know, a lot of the Silicon Valley startups end up, you know, taking in tons of, of uh, investor money and never making a profit at all. It's a, you know, it's a big gamble um, uh, to have a, a startup company. Um, but, you know, I think probably buying a, a blog like this is a little bit like, um, you know, buying a buying a franchise you know we know the people who own the local ups store and you know it was already making money it had an established location it had people there and, and that's part of what you're what you're paying for with it is that you don't have to do that from the beginning effort um well you're cutting, and, your, you're cutting the risk down isn't you? right and you know and you know that you have overhead and you have have you know salaries to pay and you have you know so that your net profit might not be enormous but that it's a it's a it's a fairly solid investment yeah that's great so i think we go on to our next story um which is um you know wordpress us is coming up again in december and it's time to apply um, if you want to speak there, are, are you going to? Um, I'm going to put that to Kim first. Are you thinking of trying to speak there again, Kim? I'm pulling together what I think might be. I, you know, obviously, you don't want to take the same speech on the road forever. That's just old. So I, I'm I'm doing two things that some people may not know. Uh, yes, I am. I'm pulling back some of my WordCamp stuff because I'm doing more corporate speaking now. But I think for WordCamp US, I'm going to try to pull something together and just see if if I get picked for a second year, you know, because you don't know their philosophy. Is their philosophy, we're going to go for all new speakers? And I get that if, if that's what they want. Or, you know, if because I got really good ratings last year and all, will they maybe pick me again? I don't know. But I'll probably throw my hat in the ring. I'd, lo- I'd love to do it again. It was a real honor. And I had so much fun getting to meet people last year that I... I hadn't met before. So, um, what's your feelings about them doing it again in Philly? Um, you seem to like Philly, anyway. Uh, well, so- I love Philly personally, but I. It, but it's not about Philly. It's about w- when they came up with the concept and they said we're going to do WordCamp US and make it the national event. They put it out that each city would have two years, and I think that the reason for that is, you know. You, you don't necessarily have one established group. It's a bigger planning than maybe some people are used to with a regular WordCamp planning. So I think it was actually smart negotiation-wise as far as getting the um, conference centers, et cetera, to say it's going to be two years. Because most of the time when I go to, I don't know about you guys, but most of the WordCamps I go to, they're wonderful. I love them. The, the meeting spaces tend to be... Uh, a shared meeting space or or on a campus, college campus or something, these guys are having to go in and negotiate at a Philadelphia convention center level. And if it goes to Orlando or wherever, they've got to have that many people, over a thousand people. So I think that from a business sense, doing two years at a time is actually smart. All right. I think we'll go to our first break, folks, and we'll come back and uh, finish off discussing this topic. And... um move forward be back in a minute buying or selling a home in the greater reno tahoe area i know the best crs real estate broker and that's karen conrad and you can find her at karenconrad.com or call directly at 775-527-7021 we're coming back from our break we're talking about wordpress us um coming up in december it's you know surprising they're asking for speakers so sally what do you think about you know philly again and um i understand what kim said but i you know it's easy it's easy to criticize i'm not criticizing it but i just wondered if it might be better better off moving it i suppose i'm biased because it's on the east coast now and i've got kind of um spot it always been in san francisco and i suppose in some ways you're the same so what's your feelings about it well 
you know, you couldn't pay me to go to Philadelphia in, in December. And, you know, that that's not going to change. But it's that's not just Philadelphia. That's, you know, any place that's going to be cold, uh, you know. And uh, I once belonged to a, uh, a, you know, in my former life as an academic, we had a, an annual conference that moved to different cities every year. And, and uh, the two years I went, it was in Washington, D.C. and in Chicago. And both times it was extremely cold. Now, I was living in Michigan at the time. I was used to cold, uh, so it wasn't such a uh, such a big deal. But at, at this point, um, you know, uh, for an event where my costs are not being covered, I have to, you know, make decisions about uh, where I'm going to go. And it's it's probably going to be someplace that, that's either a very short flight or, or within driving distance. Um, and uh, I think that... You know, there there is the issue of you know they probably don't want to have all the same speakers. And, you know, at at uh, um, WordCamp Sacramento, they made a point of of including a lot of first time speakers uh, and and you know relatively local uh, people. And you know, I would I don't know whether I'll have an idea to to apply with, but but I wouldn't be that surprised. Yes, here's the cat. Uh, I wouldn't be that surprised. If, you know, the, whether it was a good proposal or, or not, they chose somebody else who hadn't done it before. And, and that's totally, seems totally legitimate to me. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that they uh, are probably more likely to get a good space if they can commit to it. And, and you know, it will move somewhere else next year and, and in a while. And, uh, you know, people will basically... Um, uh, share the uh, uh, you know the, the 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 burden of travel will, will rest on a, a group of different people. Uh, yeah. I, I, I just think you're doing fantastic. Uh, I couldn't concentrate at, at all if I had a tail wagging in front of my face. <laughs> well, there we go. Uh, I'm, uh, John, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm just amazed at your, your abilities to keep on going. Uh, um, John, so what, what do you think? You know, because. Um, I understand exactly what Kim said, you know, they probably negotiated a better rate and that, but, you know, I, I was a little bit surprised when they said they were going to kind of, they planned to do two in a row, not move it around each year. What, what do you feel? No, I think that's a good idea because the, you know, WordCamp US or, or something like WordCamp Europe, which is going on right now, um, it, it's a bigger event than say like, you know, the East Bay or the, um, you know, LA like WordCamp and or the bigger venues. Yeah. It requires bigger venues, like more people on the organizing team. And it makes sense to do it two years in a row because otherwise like every year you're having to put together like a new organizing team and figure it out. I think if you do it two years in a row, you learn from you know, the experience of done it, having done it the year before. And you had the same, you know, mostly the same group of people, um, you know, and you can book like a venue like easily. If you're switching it around every year, it's a little bit harder because every year it's like that city is doing it for the first time. So I think if you do two in, you know, each city and then move it to uh, a new city, I think that's a good idea. And because then, um, you could go like it was on the East coast, then you could go like West coast and then you could go like the middle of the country. And then that way, you know, every six years it rotates around and it's easy for people to, you know, from different parts of the country to attend. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. yeah I, I follow the logic, but it's just, you know, Philly in December. Sorry, folks. I'm with Sally. I'm not, I'm not going to go. <laughs> I have to tell you last year wasn't bad and I'm a Florida girl. Remember guys? Yeah, I'll just. Uh, I, it really wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't bad. Uh, this last December. Yeah, uh, it's just me. Uh, I, I, I make no defense about. It. I've been way colder in Las Vegas area in December. <laughs> let me tell you, Jonathan. I, I don't know how to respond to that. Uh, <laughs> you're mixing with. Uh, right, we better not go down that route. Uh, um, so. Um, on to the next, I think we exhausted. I, I just thought I'd ask about it. Um, and I, I think it's going to be another great event and all the courageous individuals that are going to go there in December, I salute you. <laughs> 
Sorry, I'm terrible. Um, on to the next story. Um, why some WordPress plugins leave orphan tables in their database? It, it sounds like a religious statement, doesn't it, in a way? You know, uh, well, people certainly reacted to it quite violently. Yes. Yes, it's a surprise. Go on then, Sally. Off you go. What, what do you reckon about that one? Well, I, I think they make a, a reasonably uh, good explanation for why... Um, uh, you might want to leave the, the data there, for instance, you know, that uh, WP e-commerce people say, you know, that that's, you know, that's information that, that it would be uh, it really devastating to people to lose by accident through kind of not paying attention to that little confirming delete all, etc. Um, but uh, it, it does seem as if the, you know, the appropriate solution, as, as I mentioned by uh, one of the commenters is is basically you know yeah do the uh, do the the uninstall sort of of thing where uh, like gravity forms uh, does or or where there's sort of an explicit box to check that says yes I want to get rid of the uh, the tables there are plugins like oh WordFence that add you know a bazillion tables to your database full of logs and information that that you don't really need and you know it, it's uh, tidier certainly to get rid of those um, and uh, not everybody uh, is going to be in a position to go into uh, you know go into PHP my admin and and drop the tables um, so well, the thing is, you know, um, I hear contradictory. I don't know enough about this. Really. I'm going to maybe I've got a spare moment, maybe study a bit more. But it's contradictory anyway. What I've read before, some people says it does have a performance hit, but like in the article, and some other people, it says it doesn't really matter that much. It doesn't really have a performance hit. What do you think, John? I think, um, you know, in some instances, this is a really good idea to leave the orphan data. Uh, because again, you might accidentally, you know, delete your plugin, uh, and then, oh, oh, I didn't mean to do that. And say if you've got like Gravity Forms or uh, you know an e-commerce store, and you've got a whole bunch of data, if you know you go whoops and it uninstalls everything, you're starting from scratch again, and, and that could be horrendous. So it, it could I, be I, it could be it could be like that text that you know that breakup text that you never meant yeah. to send. Yeah, that's true. There yeah, you go. there you are. See, sorry, so I finished you in mid. Oh no, it's cool. Keep, keep going. Uh, Don't I just, listen to me. Yeah, no, I. But there are different like plugins that can like clean up, you know, the orphan data. I mean, if that's what you want to do. Um, so I, I I think it's useful to in in some cases to like leave that data in, um, you know, a, like a blanket statement. Like, should you always like clean up orphan data, or should you always leave it? I maybe it just depends, you know. Yeah, I don't know if you can make a, a hard and fast rule for it. So you know, what makes sense is to just give people an, an explicit option so that you know they can get rid of it if they want to uh, and leave it there if, if they want to. And, and then, you know, it's not going to, it won't disappear unless you specifically ask it to. Um, I think the performance probably depends on the specific tables and whether they're being queried and how much stuff is in them and, and, and so on. So, uh, you know, if it's not a large amount of, of stuff in there, it's not going to be a, a huge performance hit. It's just, you know, I, I dislike clutter on principle, which you'd never know from my office. All right. What do you think, Kim? I think this one's a hard one for me because I tend to come at it from a purist standpoint because I was a database administrator a long time ago with big companies and big data. And when you have some things hanging out there, like crap can happen that you just don't want to have happen. I would tend to agree with Sally on it to make it very specific to let the people choose to leave it or not. I would personally, and this is one of my probably biggest criticisms of, of just WordPress and CMSs as a whole, is that I don't think that they really handle databases as well as they could. You know, if you go back looking at how databases can be managed and the limited search functionalities they give us that is just ridiculous. 
Um, I, I really think I would put something into place where if you took a plug-in out, those tables were still pulled out but zipped up and given back to the person. Because if you get people who – and it's not the optimal. They're not hiring John and Sally to do their work who know how to clean up behind themselves. But instead, they've put this plug-in, and they ran it for a while, and then they changed it with another plug-in. And now, all of a sudden, you get this tangled mess within the database. I, it's not even just a performance standpoint. There are too many things that can go wrong when you have tables and things outstanding that aren't necessarily linked to things. And then you just put in one plug-in that was done wrong. Because, again, you're one of those people experimenting because you didn't hire a good developer and it pulls everything down. So personally, I would prefer that they pull their stuff out of the database, even if it's giving it back to the person in a way that they can refresh it or reinstall it, but without just leaving it out there hanging uh, to where you don't know how it's going to be treated. Yeah, and I, I, you know, it also comes to mind, um, Kim, is that they, they, there, there are some security consequences in having all this kind of past stuff in there, you know. Um, and um, I haven't heard anything suggest that somebody's really exploited that, but it does come to mind, doesn't it, Kim? That there are there can be some security consequences, can't there? It potentially could be. You know, face it, though, anytime we have data, there's a security consequence. If we're online, folks, there's a security consequence. Right, the quote of the day. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, I think we'll go on to our main topic now, folks. Um, so um, I, I just thought um, John and myself had a chat. John suggested this would be a good um discuss, main discussion point and that's you know um online you know people have websites built people invest a lot of time in websites but the main purpose is to get it in front of eyeballs and uh, have your message um in front of people or you're selling a product or you're doing something um so no no audience it's normally um bit of a waste of time so online marketing that works in 2016 you know we're in halfway into 2016 uh, any any things that you think don't work are still working and i'll start off with kim again got any uh, initial thoughts about the subject uh yes well first of all the, the old spammy stuff from 2008 doesn't work anymore right we know that you can't just pop up a page throw five links on it, Google's going to rank you. A bunch of bad, crappy backlinks from a, you know, your own private network. That's not going to work. I think what still works and what's going to continue to work is consistency and just really being there to serve your audience, not being fake, but being authentic, serving your audience. And I'm going to tell you, for me, the biggest thing that works for me, even though I have an online business, is offline marketing. Uh, you know, the, it's the people I meet at events, at places who, who are rec or, or who are recommended to me, that's really where I keep building and building and building. It is not just someone who finds me in a search engine, although that happens, or even on social media. It's that real connections that I make with people from either offline or a referral or a slow build through social media, right? Like we, we met in a Twitter chat, we started talking, we built, but not this just promotion, promotion, promotion that just... I don't see it working. So what do you think, Sally? Um, I think there are certainly ways to be uh, successful with online uh, marketing, definitely, and I, I wouldn't skip it. But most of my business comes from things that I do at least partly offline, like running the meetup. You know, the people I've become connected to there who then maybe refer me somebody who then maybe refers me somebody else and, and uh, you know, places where I've gone to speak and uh, and so on. And, uh, you know, some of that happens partly because of, of online interaction. I was I was pretty active in the, the WordPress group on LinkedIn when, you know, a few years back and I actually got a, uh, a gig for O'Reilly um, because of that. Um, but if you're talking about, you know, you want to suddenly you want to bring massive traffic to your website, you know, the example I have of it is uh, my husband's not blowing smoke uh, campaign. And, you know, he was able to get tens of thousands of visitors pretty much overnight, except that, you know, to get the overnight 
effect, when he launched the site, he spent two years putting in about 20 hours a day building up a, a, a network of people on, you know, Facebook and Instagram and, and uh, whatnot. Uh, so that when he said, you know, when he told those people we've launched this site, they told their people who told, told other people who, you know, who brought the, the, the traffic through me. And so it's kind of like taking us back to the story about WP Lyft is, you know, there's no instant uh, gratification here. It's some things that, that appear to be an overnight success uh, usually aren't. And so, you know, if you launch a new website, but you already have a mailing list with 30,000 people on it, um, you know, your chance of getting a lot of traffic to that website and, and making sales from it right away are definitely going to be bigger than if you have a mailing list with, you know, 30 people on it. Yeah, I think that's great stuff. Um, John, um, before uh, there was, I'm going to the Matt report again. He seems to be on a little bit of a row. Um, he, he, he interviewed um, Chris Lemmer a couple of weeks ago, and I listened to the interview. And they, they, he was dis, um, Chris was discussing. You know, he'd been on holiday for six weeks, and um, he, he had one person he was consulting saying, "I want that lifestyle. I want to be going on holiday." But Chris said, "Well, you know, it took six years of." hard work to get into that position uh, online and he was talking about you know the methodical process he took to build up his brand um so i think the two things are kind of linked do you think so um john so if if you're looking to like have like a lifestyle business or or have that mythical you know four-hour work week you're gonna have to put in gonna have to put in a lot of like front load uh work for like years and years to get to that point where you can take time off because if one thing is true is this is a marathon not a sprint um you can you know get attention for a little while but if the, the biggest thing any type of marketing whether it's online offline it all builds to one thing is your business is are you as an individual like trustworthy? Are you like um, the person that people think of when they have the specific need that you service? And everything that you do, whether it's like content marketing, whether it's going to trade shows, whether it's speaking at events, uh, whether it's uh, you know advertising on in your local market, whether it's uh, sharing things on social media, all those things are little bricks in the wall of building up your brand and building up your authority as someone who knows what they're talking about and, you know, getting people to, you know, pick up the phone and call your business and turn to you to solve their problem. And, and that's really the goal, you know? Yeah, so, you know, I totally agree with you, John. But um, this also now broadening out a little bit about some mythologies that help in that process, especially if you're starting out. You know, you know, everybody. Um, obviously, there've been great changes in email marketing. A lot of that has been around um, what um, Google has done with Gmail and their promotional folder. But um, a lot of people in the online marketing still hammer away of the importance of email marketing. So I'll start with that, John. What's your thoughts about email marketing in 2016 and its importance and broadening? Well, yeah, so uh, email marketing, a really smart guy, wiser guy than myself, Derek Sivers, you know, once said that the the only thing that you really own um, is like your website and your email list. Um, if you have a list, you can always market to those people. And the thing about it is, is those people are opting in to saying, I want to hear more from you. Uh, whether that's like your, you know, your blog feed or like you're just marketing to them, speaking to them, they're getting to know you. Um, the big thing with like email marketing is like, there's a lot of, uh, people saying that they you know, build a big list. But the other part of that is, do you ask for like people to take an action at certain times, at certain intervals in your list? And can you get people to respond? 
you can have like a ginormous list of a hundred thousand people, but if nobody takes action, like when you say like, Hey, like I have uh, a product coming out or will, you know, it's time to buy it. You know, will you buy it? I've given you all this information and all this value. And you'll notice that everybody that like successfully has uh, a list and puts all this, puts all this time, like publishing content, putting out free stuff, putting out videos, podcasts, uh, all that stuff to like build up the people on their list. Every once in a while, they're going to ask for something, buy this product, buy this book, uh, take, you know, here's my course coming out, push it out, you know? And the, the true testament to your list is, you know, your list is one thing, your brand is the other part of it. Can you get people to respond? So, uh, absolutely. You need a list because you can't rely on Google. They might change the rules at any time and you might disappear. Uh, social media, like with Facebook, you've seen them change the rules to where the people that like your page, you have to pay to get people to see the stuff that you actually published on them. But your email list, you will always own. Yes, great so, words. I think we'll go for our uh, second break, folks, and we'll be back in a minute talking about online marketing, what works into it, what doesn't work, and what does work in 2016. Back in a minute, folks. Want to turn your WordPress website into an online speed machine? Go on over to WP Tonic. They'll set up DigitalOcean websites hosting on solid-state drives. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for WP Tonic's maintenance packages. WP Tonic offers some of the very best WordPress maintenance packages on the market. So those who are serious about getting the very best platform for their WordPress sites, make sure you go on over to wp-tonic.com. We're coming back, folks. We've had a great discussion. Um, We're talking about our main topic on this Saturday. Um, What doesn't and what does work on online marketing in 2016? So we've been talking about email marketing. So... um, what do you think, Kim? Because I think it's extremely hard to build up an effective list, um, and I've been trying, and um, I'm getting slowly somewhere, but it's not easy. <laughs> Got any insights and what works and what doesn't work in 2016 around that? Okay, I would agree with you. I don't think it's easy to build up a quality list, but I would agree with John. I think it's the best thing you can do because, like you said, social media can change the rules. Google can change the rules. When you get a, a really quality list, and, and it goes back to, for those of you who have heard me speak at events or teach, I frequently talk about the blog post written in 2008 called A Thousand True Fans. And it was written in 2008, but it's with as crowded as things are right now, it's even more important. And, and he was writing for creatives saying that if you can find that thousand true fans who buy what you put out, share what you put out, love what you put out, be your brand ambassadors, you can make a nice living. And it's the same thing with building your email list. It's finding those right targeted people that respond to what you have, buy what you have. If it's not right for them, they share it with someone else that buys it. And I'm not saying it's easy to do, but that's where it's worthwhile putting your time into because you, as John pointed out, you own that list. And those are people that can just keep growing and growing and growing with you and keep buying from you and keep sharing you to help you really build a substantial business. And John pointed out one other thing that for those who are building email lists, and you mentioned it, John, but I wasn't sure if they really got it. If you're building an email list, you need to make sure that as you're sending out those consistent emails, they need to be frequent and consistent, that sometimes you're asking them to do something. Maybe it's not even buy. Maybe it's download something for free. Maybe it's take next steps. But you get them in that process of saying, yes, I will. Mm -hmm. And then that's where you get them into that process of, I will download this. I will buy this. I will share this with a friend who will buy this. And that's how you actually build it into a, a, you know, something that can become part of your business that, that is income producing. Yeah, it's great stuff. What do you think, Sally? Well, you know, it's interesting that, that, you know, it seems like every other week or or at least once a year you hear that, you know, email is dead thing. But, you know, pretty much equally as often somebody does a study on uh, effectiveness of of marketing and uh, email marketing still comes out at the top. Uh, There is a lot of 
competition. I mean, you know, I'm subscribed to a lot of, of, of lists, but I find myself unsubscribing to the things if, you know, if I don't have time to read them, if I don't. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. Uh, it's hard to get people's attention. Um, and then, of course, you know, part of the way that you build your list and the way that you keep people on your list is that you then have to send them stuff. And it has to be stuff that's valuable. I mean, it, it, you know, there has to, you have to have that combination of it's valuable for its own sake and it's got some kind of call to action in it where you're, you know, actually getting people to uh, to do things for you. Um, and, you know, as with other types of content marketing, well, that means you have to put some work into it. Uh, you know, even if the list, you know, usually is just sending out your, your blog posts, it means you have to write the blog posts. Um. Yeah, um, uh, my insights into it is um, it's very similar to websites. What people tend not to consider is the amount of work. If you want to really want to get a result, um, and Chris Lemmer was talking about this, you know, um, he said that a lot of people, and I didn't, I saw where he was coming. I wouldn't say I agreed 100%, but I, I could definitely see where he was coming from. He said people tend to concentrate on shiny stuff and they don't concentrate is the main reason why somebody's going to a website is information and you've got to get your content and um, in a crowded internet in 2016 you better have some really good content and then you you keep hammering away and building up and up and then you know you work on the look the design um, when you got to a stage where you're getting enough traffic because you've got enough content that's aimed. And the same thing is with email marketing. You know, it takes a lot of work to write a really good email every month and you've got to be consistent. And then you've got to try and get it in front of the people that would be interested in that content. So that means managing your list, working out, how you're going to get people on that list. There's a lot of things going. Would you agree with that, John? Yeah, content marketing is a grind. It's um, definitely there's a lot of people that just think that, hey, I will write like four blog posts and we'll be done for the year. And all the people will like come rolling in. Look, I'm blogging. But um, and most of those people just like give up, you know, just right away. But I can tell you this. I, I've done it not only with the site that I have now, but I've done it with other sites as, as well. Um, and I've seen people do it with their own sites. When you write consistently about the same subject over and over, and you, and you make a schedule, even if you're like writing like once a week, Google will reward you because they'll say, like, hey, this person knows all about this subject. And people will you know, come and, you know, not every one of those articles that you write is going to like bring people, but one out of 10 or two out of 10 of them are going to get you some traffic, but you don't know which ones they are until you go out and write them. Word. Yeah. I also feel, you know, you got to, um, and I'm as guilty as this is, but I'm getting better. Um, is that you've got to do some research, using um a tool like seo rush um there's some others you got to see what articles are really popular you got to look at them and then you got to just you know um write something develop something that's better is it you got to look at you know which area you're um you're trying to build a foreign on you know is it a big enough niche area can you compete with the established articles you just basically folks got to think about it a little bit more um and plan it we all have a tendency because we're busy just to kind of knock stuff up and and it, we're really a bit a little bit more planning really pays dividends so i want to move on um to another area um it's face you know um i'm increasingly um with google uh, i noticed um a tendency um that organic results especially in very competitive areas organic seems to be being pushed further and further down the home page 
to the extent where some really competitive searches you might have only two to three really organic where the rest is taken up with images videos all sorts of stuff so i'm a great fan of facebook and facebook paid advertisement um what do you think of that sally do you think facebook is something that should be looked at I think it may depend a little bit on on your business. I you know Facebook does have extremely targeted information about people, and and that's one of the advantages to Facebook advertising. So that you know that could make Facebook a good place to to look. Um, you know LinkedIn might be a good place to look, depending on who your market is. So it's you know where where you advertise is, is going to depend a lot on that. And you know the the fact that you see a lot of image results and a lot of video results in Google searches suggests, oh, you know, it might be useful to produce some images and some videos and, mm-hmm. and, and op, you know, and, and try optimizing them because yes, you know, video is, is really flavor of the month. Um, even though it, it has a lot of drawbacks. I mean, I saw some silly article about, you know, basically text is going to disappear and everything will happen by video. And, and like, are you joking? You know, that would be so inconvenient. Um, you know, it's like, you don't have to put makeup on to send a text message. Uh, well, I don't have that problem. So. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's very, you know, video is completely linear. Uh, and, uh, you know, you have to be able to look at it. You can't be doing something else. So, you know, there, there are lots of, of disadvantages to, to those things, but, you know, they are popular. People are watching a lot of video. And, and so, you know, you, you, you have to take those things into, into consideration. Um, and I, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with, buying ads um i think you need to to make sure that you um pay attention to you know what your budget is and to what kind of you know if you have to if you have to look at your analytics and see what's working for your for your blog you have to check that out you know two and three times for any kind of paid advertising because if it is not bringing in more than you're spending on it uh, you should stop yeah, well, it's all it's all about focus and target, um, Kim. So, um, like I say, I, I think Facebook because of the analytical data it provides, and you got to you know you got to have got to do a you know you got to do some A to B testing. You got to have decent landing pages, all the normal stuff that is similar to Google paid advertisement. You know, um, but I do see Facebook and um, live video YouTube with youtube twitter or facebook you know you've got facebook live now i've been experimenting so how do you see the kind of um it seems to be a in 2016 the kind of big wagon live video doesn't it on facebook twitter and other um platforms periscope on twitter how, how do you see that affecting um marketing in 2016 well i i mean i you can't deny it's it's here. It, it's not just going to be. It's already here. Um, I so agree with Sally. Text is not going away, and it can't go away. We even if you're doing video, if you're teaching something, you still need the text to to back it up uh, because it, you know you just do. But we have to say that it is something that's really popular, very powerful. It's growing. Google gives, like you said, they're they're looking for it. They are giving precedence to this facebook is loving it so i definitely think the online video is just going to keep growing i don't see it going away i think that i think what will happen though is as it continues to develop people are going to it's going to become more savvy as to you know what people don't realize is when you get found on google for a video it's still based on the text in the transcript behind that video that people found the root, the words. Google's not right now reading the video. It's actually looking at this transcription behind. So I think that as it grows, people are going to become smarter about not just taking the Google transcription, that if you've ever looked at what Google has to say as it copied what you just said, I looked at one of my videos and what Google said, I said, had a whole bunch of words my mother would have washed my mouth out for, and I did not say those in the video. So 
if you really want a video to rank, get a real transcription, make sure the words are in there that you want, put them behind the scenes. And I think you're just going to see people getting savvier about that to really make the online uh, uh, video marketing work for them when it comes to the search engines. As for the other, as far as like the paid ads, I just have two things to say. One's paid and one's not. I'm just doing my first Facebook and Twitter paid campaign. So when I'm done, I will come back with what worked and what didn't. Something that has been interesting for me lately is I built a Twitter card to capture email addresses and I pinned it. And that is actually helping me build my email address because there, I mean, my email list, there are now ways if you use Twitter cards and you don't have to pay for them, even, uh, even though it's in the advertising area where you can actually create a Twitter card and, uh, gather emails right from that Twitter card without them actually ever having to leave Twitter. That's they fascinating. Just, yeah, that, they that just put that in. I'm going to steal that. Yeah, I, that's I, a I great idea. With you. you can have it. You don't have to steal it. And um, yeah, if you go to the pinned tweet on my Twitter, you'll see it. It's offering a class. You click on it. It says, uh, I'm going to share your Twitter email address with her. Click OK. And you get it. It's that easy to then start building that email address, uh, email list we were talking about before. Well, that's a great tip. Thanks for that, Kim. Um, so, welcome. John, um, like I say, you know, live video seems to be um, like Facebook Live. I've I've done some experiments with it recently. Um, and then you've got Periscope. Um, then you've got YouTube. But Snapchat. Yeah, Snapchat. <laughs> I, I don't be on there. Can't do that. Uh, I just cannot do that. Have you, been, have you tried that at all, John? Yeah, I have a Snap chat just follow me it's lockdown design uh definitely uh a lot of here's the thing snapchat has survived for about three years now uh facebook offered them three billion to buy their company a while back and they said no we'll pass and at the time i thought that was crazy but now i realize that that was the right call because i will if you look at like how social networks go um, Facebook, I thought was going to die, but it's, it's going to be here forever. Um, but I think I really truly believe this. I believe that Snapchat is going to be the next big thing. And I think everyone that's here right now in within three years time, they will all be on Snapchat because that is where everybody is going to be. I really truly feel that I love Twitter to death, but I don't think it's going to be the same in three years. I, I really get the feeling like from it now that it's kind of like MySpace was when it started like sinking. Um, and you see what's happening like with Twitter behind the scenes with them changing the product like, you know, every few months to try and like generate revenue. You've got like the CEO, he's running this and Stripe at the same time. Um, the investors that put the money into Twitter, they want to see their money coming back. And I think that the product is going to change. Uh, because of that. And I think a lot of people are going to end up flocking to Snapchat because the same people who are like here um, are going to have to go somewhere. You remember like a long time ago, there's like app.net. Like people were saying like, we're going to make a social network that's an alternative. Um, and nobody ended up doing it. Same thing with Ello, like last year. Everybody thought that was going to be the alternative. But <laughs> I really, truly feel that Snapchat is going to be it. There's more video consumed on Snapchat right now than there is on anywhere except for Facebook and YouTube. Um, If I was going to say like video in three places, I would say YouTube, Facebook, and Snapchat. Those three. Instagram, too. Instagram, number four. Well, I'm setting up my Snapchat channel this afternoon, folks. (laughs) I just added you, John. Nice. Thank you, Kim. (laughs) What, what, um, um, what do you think, Sally? Uh, I'm resisting Snapchat at the moment, yeah. but I, 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 I tend to agree with, with John's uh, outlook on Twitter. It, it, you know, Twitter doesn't seem to know where it's going. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, it may not have a, have a future. And I don't spend as much time on Twitter as I uh, did, but... Um, you know, that's uh, partly because I spend a little more time hanging out in, in certain Slack channels. And, you know, everybody has a 
you know, uh, uh, nobody has an infinite amount of time to spend on social media. So you kind of have, end up finding where it is that, that you personally uh, belong. But in terms of marketing, you know, you're kind of looking at where are not just, you know, most people uh, hanging out, but uh, where are, uh, you know, people who are your best customers hanging out. And that may not, you know, that may be a small network versus a, a large network, just as, you know, I've heard people say, yeah, you get a lot better results from, you know, interviews in um, uh, trade publications, but the place that everybody wants the coverage is, you know, the New York Times, even if it isn't really bringing them very much traffic or, or business. Yeah, I think um, when it comes to Twitter, um um, this week in startups with um, uh, Jason, um, he had one of his round tables. Um, he had a really good discussion. He he's um, you know he's one of, he has one of the biggest followings on Twitter, and for a month he stopped using it, and then he went back to it. Um, but he 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 was making you know the very you know there are things. Um, I think there are things that could clearly t turn Twitter around. Obviously, they have been trying out a lot of stuff. Um, like what John said, their fundamental thing is that their investors want to return now. The, the clock's really ticking down, and this is why you're getting a lot of this activity. Um, but I think... Um, one of the things that Jason said in this week in Startup, one of the things is verification. You know, they, they offer it to only a certain number of people. But one of the things that he said he found increasingly a problem on Twitter is the trolls, especially the French ones. Uh, um, uh, um, but, um, you know, he said trolling, um, you know, they've been cased, you know... Uh, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to go down that route, but he, he pointed out the trolling problem, the quality problem. Um, verification might be a way of assisting that. There's a lot of dummy accounts. We all know, like, um, Facebook really hammered it and cleaned it up to a certain degree, but, you know, a lot of those Twitter accounts are dummy accounts. Um, but there's there's all sorts of things they could do. To, I feel um, one. I think the biggest problem with Twitter is engagement. Um, it's a big word in the social media crowd. I call it the social the social media examiner crowd. Um, 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 is engagement? You know, but I've, I, I'm not against them, um, which they're doing. You know, expanding 140 characters. I always thought that was a little bit, you know, done for technical reasons. I didn't quite follow um, that concrete limitation. So I think another interesting thing to finish off. I know is you know Microsoft buying LinkedIn. Um, I think LinkedIn is similar to, is in a similar situation to Twitter, and I, I, you know they were they they have you know they bought you know Moulton, um Hopefully, will be joining us next week. Um, Linda, they bought they, Linda. They, they, bought, no, they, they bought, didn't buy Morton specifically. No, of course that's why they, they, that's why they bought it, wasn't it? You know, uh, that's why they bought it. That's why they bought it. Yeah. Uh, um, so. Um, you know, they've been trying all sorts of stuff, haven't they, um, Sally? LinkedIn, all sorts of, just like Twitter, because, you know, they want to get more people to spend more time on LinkedIn, because a lot of people, the only time the reason they go on there is when they're looking for a job or something. Um, it, it remains, however, the place that people go to look for jobs and the place that people go to look for uh, employees. I get calls from LinkedIn recruiters pretty frequently and I haven't been very active on LinkedIn or done a lot with my profile recently or, or any of those things. Um, so, you know, it, it's still the, the place where if you're picking, you know, if you're looking for a job and you want to pick one social network, LinkedIn is going to be the, the, the one to pick. Well, uh, we've had a fascinating. We we uh, we maybe in a month's time have to go back to this subject. Tom's really gone fast, folks. Um, I think we've only really touched the subject really, um, probably because of me gassing too much. But there we go. So I'm going to go back to my panel. So Sally, how can people get hold of you to learn more with words of wisdom from you? 
Sure. You can find me at WPFangirl.com. Um, on Twitter, I am at Sally Getch, uh, same as I am here on Blab. Um, and since I am unique in Google, if you can spell my name, you can find me. True. Well, well you are unique, Sally. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, Kim, um, how can people get hold of you? If you want to learn to build online courses, you can find me at howtobuildanonlinecourse.com. For general WordPress, you can find me at whitegloveWebtraining.com. And on the blabs and the Twitter, I am at Kim Shivler. Can we have the claw again, Kim? You can have the claw. Yeah, we I want the nice the, claw or the bad yeah, can claw. Can I have the clam do it again? Okay, so if you're the nice Jonathan, <laughs> if you're the bad Jonathan, you're going to get that. Oh, I'm used to that. I've always been bad. Um, John, how can you... Um, this is a childish element to me, folks. I can't help it. Um, John, um, how do people get hold of you? Where's your claw, John? Forget about this Snapchat. You need a claw. People can find me at LockdownDesign.com and I'm on the Twitter as Lockdown underscore. Right. And... And if you want to get hold of me, folks, I'm all, I am all, I might be the only person on Twitter. So, um, <laughs> Jonathan, I wonder where they're on Snapchat. It's obvious they're on Snapchat. Um, look at, at Jonathan Denwood. Is it like Sally? There's not many Jonathan Denwoods around. Uh, um, so, and also um, email me at, at Jonathan at WP um hyphen tonic.com and i i do respond to every email that's personally sent to me even the rude ones that are sent to me uh um and it's been a great show and we'll see you come and join us for the live show on um it starts at 10 a.m pacific standard time um on blab um we love people popping in asking questions and in the second hour We've got any problems with WordPress, or, and we do also um, some web reviews. You want some advice, you can join us for the second hour, and we'll help you out, and it's totally free. So we'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Say goodbye, panel. Bye. No, no Peace out. Bye. Peace.